are listening to Live to Sustain. Laura and I recently sat down with Matt and Marisa of Two Ponds Farm in central Wisconsin. They recently moved from New York City to Wisconsin to simplify their lives and raise their daughter in the sort of country lifestyle that they were raised in. Now they live on over 60 acres of land and they grow as much food as they can. Uh, They have vegetable gardens, they raise chickens and ducks for their eggs and for their meat. In our interview with them, uh, we learn a little bit more about their background, we learn more about what drove them to move to Wisconsin, and we learn a lot about how to live on a farm. We learn uh, about some of the fruits and vegetables that can be grown in colder climates. We talk a little bit about greenhouses, etc. So listen in, and here we start with Marissa talking a little bit about uh, where she's from. I grew up in central Pennsylvania, and I grew up working on my grandfather's fruit farm in the summer. You know, gardening sort of runs in my family. So my grandfather was a farmer. His father was a farmer. My parents always had a garden. We had a few chickens growing up. Nothing crazy. I've always liked to garden, I guess because I like to eat, and I like to cook, and I like to eat well. And so for me, I think growing your own food is maybe a little bit about saving money, but mostly it's you get a lot better quality. And so that equates to better flavor, healthier food. Even when I was in apartments, I would have like a little window box of herbs. And we had a little house when we lived in New York and a little backyard. So we had a small raised bed garden. And then when we moved out here two years ago, uh, we got a lot more land, and so we're slowly expanding. Um, How much our... land do you live on now? We have 66 acres. Oh, wow. So more than we've had before. <laughs> so were you also from Pennsylvania, Matt, or where were you from originally? Um, I I grew up in Wisconsin. <coughs> oh, I see. Yeah, out in the country south of Green Bay, which is about two hours from where we live. Okay, and so though, and then you both were in New York, is that right? Yeah, so it's kind of complicated. So after undergrad, I went to uh, Madison, Wisconsin for uh, graduate school. Okay. And I met Matt there because he was there for veterinary school. I see. Okay. So then we moved actually, actually I moved to Massachusetts. He moved to Colorado, Colorado. because that was the where we happened to get jobs. And then I left Massachusetts after like a year and a half and moved to Colorado and we got married and then we were there for about four years I think yeah three years he was there for four years and then we moved to New York because I got a job in New York and then we spent four years there so and then we so would you say there was a plan to do what you guys are doing now I guess I'm trying to lead us towards you know what were, are you guys, you know, this has kind of always been in your nature or, you know, have you guys done kind of city life and now you've, you've moved to just, you know, wanting to be more rural or has this always been a business plan for you? Can you explain that for us? I think we always kind of wanted to do it, but we never had the location or the means to do it, really. Got it. Probably location-wise because we live, we've lived in cities, suburban environments, Yeah, I mean, we both spent a lot of time in school, so in most cases, you end up in larger city areas, and usually when you're in school, you don't have much money, 
so we always were sort of in bigger urban areas with on you know student salary or Matt was a resident for a while we were always in apartments and moving every few years and so it wasn't really until we bought a house in New York but obviously you know we were an hour an hour outside of New York City so there wasn't you know we could only afford a very small place we did the best we could there with what we had but I think neither of us were really that into the city life right and we could garden and do some things like that in New York not not at this scale but um, of course but we could and we could have had chickens and stuff in New York yeah we could have had chickens Um, we had a nice little garden we planted some raspberries um I think there's already an apple tree planted in the backyard and now our garden is half an acre enclosed yeah so now our our garden is about the same size as our plot of land was in new york wow that's pretty amazing and you said it was enclosed is it like a greenhouse type of garden no we we had to enclose it here it's it's basically just a fence but where we live we oh, have, uh-huh yeah we, we have lots of deer and oh we i see in our garden the deer would destroy it destroy it, it. yeah so um, it's like so a really we, tall fence or well, it be taller be we'll taller. put it that way because uh, they can jump it if they're very motivated You'd have to put in like a seven, eight foot fence. So ours is maybe six foot, five, six, five, six, six foot. Yes, yeah, five or six feet tall with three free electric wires on the top of it. Oh, know. wow. And we what kind of things weird. do you grow in the garden? It's kind of broken into three sections, I guess. One section is uh, wine grapes because we both like to drink wine. And the uh, University of Minnesota has developed a lot of um, uh, new grape varieties that do better in cold weather oh wow so and they're they're developing more that are drier to make drier wines not just the sweet wines that traditionally grow better in the northern climates and we prefer the drier reds and dry whites interesting Um, what are those particular grapes are you able to share those uh names with us so we just put in red grapes what is this our second year so we put in a red variety they're called marquette okay uh and they're supposed to be pretty good, a uh, little high in acid, so a lot of people make blends with them. But they're relatively new, so a lot of vineyards are experimenting with those right now, I think. And so uh, we've heard that they, they can make some pretty good wine. So hopefully next year we might be able to make our first batch with our own grapes. That sounds fun. There is a vineyard nearby that, um, that we've been to their tasting room, and they, they've had some Marquette red wines that have been pretty good. Nice. So a third you said is for the the wine grapes, and then what about the rest? So then a third is some fruit trees we put in. So apples, peaches, pears. I think that's it. A cherry tree, a couple cherry trees. Cherry tree, peaches. And, and these are all considered perennials, uh, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of a thing with me. I like – it takes longer to see – a sort of a profit or see you know see some get something out of it it takes longer to get something out of it right but i like the perennials because you know you plant once and you can harvest you know virtually forever great yeah Uh, we're slowly trying to increase the the trees and bushes we also have um raspberries put in some raspberries this year some summer bearing ones and some fall bearing ones yeah have you guys heard of sea berries ever did you say sea berries 
Raspberries. Oh, okay. Yeah, Laura and I had, uh, we were looking into perennials in the past and we came across one called sea berries and I believe they're a yellow uh, color and supposed to be really high in antioxidants and I think they do well in some of those more difficult uh, weathers. Huh. Yeah. We even planted, two years ago, we planted some lignin berries. Ooh. Um, we haven't gotten any berries from them. The, the plants are still alive. They're still, yeah. <laughs> but maybe in the future we'll get some of those. They're supposed to spread. They're a perennial as well. So, so what's the motivation for this? I mean, I mean living, um, you know, on land, having space. Um, are you guys trying to be off grid? You know, are you trying to use the land to to make money? How much food do you get? Uh, I think for me, it's about being more self sufficient and trying to avoid all the factory farmed animals uh, because we're not vegetarian. We don't eat a lot of meat, but we still eat meat. Um, and so meat is one of the meat and vegetables. I think to me are one of the easiest things, maybe not easy, but relatively easiest things you can um, be self-sufficient at or more self-sufficient at, you know, there's some things that obviously I'm not going to make my own clothes or something like that, but, <laughs> right. but with food, you know, I guess food and gardening are my passion and we've both obviously Matt's a veterinarian so we both like animals and so for me it's about the quality and the health of well us and the the food we eat the stuff is you know less processed and more local so you know less of a carbon footprint basically even if you're not eating vegetarian supporting your local economy that's less processed and less traveled I think is good um, I want to know more about the chickens. So you said you raised the chickens for meat? Yeah, we raised in the spring. We got uh, 15 uh, meat chickens, just Cornish crosses. So they're a hybrid. The ones that produce the really big, big chicken breasts, they're, they get sort of a bad reputation, but ours are very healthy. Some people don't like them because they can have leg issues. We, we sort of limited their feed somewhat when they got older so they don't, Otherwise, they just kind of sit and eat and eat. Mm -hmm. So ours were free range, but that's sort of in quotes because when they get bigger, they don't really range that much. So uh -huh. Matt made a chicken tractor. So it's like a, basically a movable chicken coop so he could move it around. We have a small compact tractor so he can move this coop around, pull it with the tractor so they could have fresh grass every day. Um, and they would do a little bit of pecking around and stuff, but they're basically a, a bird that's designed to grow really quickly. And so we harvested them at about eight weeks. Eight weeks old. Eight weeks. And who is in charge of killing them? Did you have to, like, do it yourself? Um, yeah, I I was the one in charge of that. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I did it myself. Um, it's It's not the most pleasant process in the world. But I think they had they had a much better life than your average, you know, Tyson supermarket chicken. Uh huh. Yeah, um, for sure. So. And they actually taste incredible. They, they do taste a lot better. Yeah, and I think it worked out for maybe a dollar seventy nine a pound or a dollar yeah, twenty nine a pound. It was, you know, it wasn't that much more expensive than the, than the grocery store. Um, and of course, we have our labor involved in that, but you know, feed and the actual chicken cost was you know, it was less than two dollars a pound. We do have some friends that do it, and um, they actually hire um, people to butcher their chickens. Oh, okay. um, we live, there's a large Amish population nearby. Oh, yeah. yeah. They will hire and 
you know, the Amish will come and process your chickens for you. Oh, wow. Is, but it's still actually not that bad. So, so how much of your groceries are you able to offset living in how you do? It probably depends on the season. Yeah, in the summer we buy, and fall, we buy almost no fresh vegetables and very little meat, because, partly because we don't eat meat. But when we do eat meat, we buy it. We often buy it from a, a local uh, meat processing plant here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They get a lot of, like, 4-H kids. They buy local uh, animals. Local animals from like that. The four, that the 4-H kids raise. Uh, but I think... I mean, on average, we spend, lately we've been spending, you know, 60 to $80 a week on groceries, and we have a family of three, and that's pretty cheap, I think. Yeah. I'd say so, yeah. So, and mostly it's because we're not, we're buying very little fresh, and we're buying very little meat. Um, that's good. And now we don't eggs anymore. And now we're, yeah, our, we have ducks now, so our ducks are laying, just started laying eggs, so we don't have to buy eggs anymore. Cool. Do they taste like chicken eggs? They, they taste a little different. I think they taste better. They're, um, they're creamier. The, the yolk is creamier, and I'd say the whites are a little firmer. Hmm. Interesting. And they have bigger, bigger yolks, uh, so I've heard bakers, uh, love them. Uh. So, so in terms, in terms of growing, uh, you said the season determines how much food you're producing. Um, is there a way that you guys can be growing everything you need year-round in, in those temperatures uh, in the winter? We would love to have a greenhouse, uh, and that would help. But here, a lot of people do cold frames. Like They'll just basically do a raised bed with like a glass top that can lift up, and that can extend your season. Or they'll do sort of like a hoop house okay. with kind of like a greenhouse, but it's not heated. Some of our winter temperatures. But here. Last winter we had, sometimes it was 30 below at night. Yeah, mm-hmm. it gets really cold here. So it, that's probably the one of the things I like the least about living here is the growth <laughs> is really short. And so I actually, this is the coldest um, zone I've ever lived in. So I have to really pay attention when I buy my seeds and when we buy like our trees, uh, like peaches, there's only a few varieties of peaches that will even grow here. We can't grow sweet cherries. So we are really limited by the zone that we live in. But I have done some stuff under lights, little greens and things like lettuces. I grow herbs indoors year round. So so you can extend the season somewhat, but but yeah. there's a limit to how far you can go here. Yeah, we saw this, uh, you know, I'm not even sure in negative 30 how well this would really work, but we saw once this house that had a greenhouse that was basically attached to it, so it was over part of the roof and then extended, you know, down and, you know, to the side, right, and kind of created almost like a little terrarium uh, on the side of the house, and it seemed like that would be an efficient way to heat the greenhouse from the heat from the house, you know, and maintain somewhat of a decent environment you know even in the winters but i don't know too much about greenhouses i am stayed at a bed and breakfast probably 20 years ago at a place like that where their whole southern exposure was a wall of windows oh wow and kind of like a greenhouse it wasn't quite completely open to the house but that was the front door was the greenhouse and then they went in into the house huh. 
and would yeah. such a setup allow you to grow um, you know better because of the being cozied up to the house would that help the heat or is it just still I mean when it's frigid it's frigid I bet I bet that really helped um, but when when I was there there was they, they grew a lot of stuff in there oh okay yeah and I think with something like that you'd want to look at what your heat source is because uh, right now we have uh, just propane. Uh, so that would get really expensive, yeah, I think. Yeah. But I think if you had, um, you know, we've tossed around the idea of in the future getting uh, solar panels or around here, a lot of people have outdoor wood burners that heat water and then the water pipes into the house. Something that's a little more sustainable for a heating source, uh, I think we'd want first before we even probably consider a greenhouse. So that's kind of where our interview ended uh, with Matt and Marisa, uh, maybe a little bit abrupt, but there was a lot of things that we talked about, and it's kind of hard to condense all of that into, you know, one podcast. Uh, Laura and I thought maybe we would close by just sharing some of the things that we thought were interesting to us. Um, I will say that one thing that stood out to me is just the fact that it's quite cold in Wisconsin, and it must be difficult uh, to sustain there, um, but obviously it's difficult to grow food. It sounds like there's solutions to it, and it's just things that you have to work towards. I thought it was cool to learn what a duck egg tastes like. I never knew what it tasted like, oh, really? and I thought it was interesting. It sounds good. I want to try it. Yeah, yeah. I think I have seen them before. They're a little bit like an orangish kind of darker color, but they definitely sounded good, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And what else? What else did you learn? I was impressed that they were able to grow almost all of their vegetables in the summer and the fall, and I found that really inspiring, and it made me want to start growing on our own little balcony. Even though we don't have a ton of land, we have a little bit of space, and so I'm excited. We started plant we planted kale a few weeks ago, and I'm really looking forward to growing that and then harvesting it and eating healthy salads and all that. Yeah, I think... You know, I really feel like farm life, as Matt and Marisa are doing it, and probably so many others, is really is sustainability every day. You're living sustainable. You know, you have to consider, uh, you know, as they were saying, the seeds you're buying, you know, where you're planting, when you're planting, when you're harvesting. You know, you have to consider housing for all of your animals. And, you know, it, it's a lot to think about. And I, I think yeah. that stepping back um, is truly sustainability. Yeah, and you get to witness firsthand through composting how waste can be used in a regenerative way to make the food, the soil more fertile and create healthier foods. Yeah, that's one thing they talked about. That's actually another important thing to mention is local. You know, they, the word local came up a lot and they share resources locally and they distribute locally, you know, some of what the, the resources they were getting and, you know, were distributing um, is a local effort. Awesome. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed our show. Be sure to check out our website, livetosustain.com, and follow us on Instagram, at livetosustain.com.